Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I am excited for today's guest, as I am with every guest. Is it my phone? Shit! Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I am excited for today's guest, as I am with all guests, but particularly this one. Uh, we've had many fun conversations. I have played with their ears on multiple occasions, and uh, they are just a, a, a fun uh, conversation um, holder, holder of conversation. They keep court. Well, thank you. Right? Is that what the phrasing is? Holding court. Something like that. She plays basketball on a court. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jess. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay. So, yeah. So we met via the the shop, mm-hmm. um, and being uh, empaths. Mm-hmm. Obviously, empaths have to to speak on all the things. Oh, correct. Um, plus, you guys are just fun. Like you, when you would come in, and I think the first like real conversation I had was before you were going to Vegas. Oh, back in March? I think so, yeah. You had a ladies trip? Yes. Yes, we did. And then, yeah, it was just easy to talk to you. And every time you came in after that, we'd get a little deeper and a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. been talking about having you on the show for a minute. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. Let's let's go through all the all the things. All the things. So were you raised in Minnesota? I was. Okay. Yep. I born and raised in the area. Tried to leave twice. Okay. Came back. Where did you you scurry off to? I went to UW Stout for my first year. And then um, just with some stuff going on with my sister, my nephew was born. It was just, I, I was called back. I mm. really was called back. And then I lived in St. Cloud for probably about nine, ten months. And it was just not. It was not a great situation of mm. where I was living. And so it was kind of like this, fuck it, I have to get out of here. <laughs> and so I moved back home um, and lived in <laughs> sense. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I might bleep out the town. That's okay. So people will just be like, what's nice? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But okay, so so your, your family is from there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many siblings do you have? I have had... Okay. So through my mother, I have had four. And then through my dad, I know of one. Oh? Yep. He had told my mom... So from what I gather is he had told both his ex-wife and then my mom is that he couldn't have kids. And <laughs> oops, here's some babies. Um. And even like the jig was up. And so my mom had had a miscarriage with twins after me. So about a year after me. And so. Do you like, were you old enough to remember when she went through that? No, no. Um, She tells me little bits and pieces about it, but she hasn't really gone into, into detail. I know she's had two or three miscarriages in total, but that one specifically, no. I was eight when my mom had a a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and i remember it 
like it really sticks out because my brother um, opened up the fridge and accidentally elbowed her in, in the side oh, of the stomach. No. And so my brain associated with, I was like, oh my God, my brother killed mm-hmm. my potential next brother. And like, and so it just stuck with me forever. Mm-hmm. And, and that whole, man, like for how common miscarriage is, mm-hmm. it's still so heavy because there's such a, there's so much unknown mm-hmm. that's left when that happens. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, I get it. And like, you know, people uh, grieve and, and all mm-hmm. those things, but it's, it's just, it's almost like thinking about infinity. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's hard to grasp right. all of the, you know, variables that could have been. And so right. I, yeah, it's, I've, I've learned how truly heavy that needs to be because mm-hmm. I hear other women like when they when they comfort you know their their friends um mm-hmm. saying like I've had one and, and like eventually it gets better and, and these things but in that moment it is just it's it's terrible hoof yeah it's absolutely horrendous I've had two. Oh, you um, have I have yeah one that I, I wasn't aware that I was pregnant until I lost the child and then the second one we were we were actively trying I lost the child and it was just it, it was gut-wrenching. Ugh. And there's still like that. You kind of keep to a bubble. Like you hear of these women saying like, I've been through it. I promise it gets better. This will happen and this will happen. But there is so much uncertainty, especially when there's multiples, because clearly there's something going on. Oh. And so the possibility of I might not ever have children, That's it, it's heavy. It's really heavy. And there's still that like, I did something wrong. Like there's still, even though we can logically say science proven, sometimes embryos just don't make it. Like it's just not the right one. Um, but it's still that like, I did something wrong. My yep. body failed. I I didn't, I wasn't able to carry this child. And it's, it is, it is, it's really heavy. And then I went after my first one, no, second one, I had heard of a woman who had had like, eight of them because she was a co-worker of one of my friends oh an actual like not the octomom no not octomom no (laughs) no she gave birth to all those eight children um but she had had a lot of loss and she just had this like okay well it's in god's plan i'm like why the fuck don't i have any of that like positivity like it'll happen when it happens like i'm not a super religious person so i'm not going to be like it's in god's plan but i i think it's because we know too much right Right. The curse of knowledge is like, right. yeah, sorry. No, that's, yeah. I, I am that type of person <laughs> where like I research something to death because knowledge is power in my head. And then I know too much. And then it's like, okay, well, with each one, that means it's less and less and less percent chance I'm going to be able to carry a child and I'm never going to have kids. And then I'm just, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone. And then my husband has to try to reel me back in. And Did you do this? Because I see that or i've heard this a lot which is um post miscarriage you see some teenager who's pregnant or or you have an example of somebody who sucks as a mom mm-hmm. or you know is gonna suck as a mom you find out that they're pregnant and you're like this fucker gets to have a baby mm-hmm. like why <laughs> oh i had a complete meltdown in the middle of a store because of that oh, like man. complete like complete meltdown i walked out i walked like to a caribou down the road i called my mom i said please come pick me up 
like left my husband with the group of people we were with. Like, no, I, I can't do this. I can't be here. So, oh, yeah, no, for sure. And then it's and we I've had several discussions with other women that I know that have had a lot of miscarriage where it's like you can look at that teenager wrong and boom, pregnant, mm. like no issues. And it is it it you get very resentful and it's nothing that anyone does wrong. Like they're not getting pregnant to hurt you. It's just right. it feels like a personal attack because yeah. I failed. So why can you succeed? Man, I, I can't. That's something that I don't know that I'll be able to ever wrap my head around because Mm -hmm. it's like it's like having a degree in something Mm -hmm. and you just know that you have this innate ability to pass this test Mm -hmm. you've been told your whole life you're like I'm ready for it Mm -hmm. I know I know all the things I know that my body just does what it needs to do and Mm -hmm. and so then when you when it doesn't pan out yeah you're like no 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 this is what I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a baby carrier. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I can, sh- I can show you. I, I have the things I can do this. Oh, just kidding. I can't. Oh, um, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, okay. So if you don't mind, do you recall, uh, like, have you been diagnosed with anxiety? The first therapist, I don't know what he diagnosed me with. Okay. Um, How about this? Do you feel that you have anxiety? Absolutely. When did you accept that that point? Or have you always kind of... Because So I used to do this. Like before I fully admitted that I was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. I would joke like patronizingly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I find that people do that with anxiety too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm anxious. I have anxiety, but mm-hmm. they don't, it doesn't seem like they truly accept that they have anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, does that make more sense? Yeah. Um, I've always known, like, it's always something, like, I've never really. So, I grew up where, where mental health, like, we need to, we need to throw a smile on our face. Mm. Everything will get better. Like, it, it's fine. Um, and so, probably, I don't know, more like my late teens, college, where I accepted, like, I am depressed. I am anxious. Mm. Um, I have these things. I have these traits. I have this or that. It's just kind of always been there. I've tried medication. I've tried not medication. Um, I've tried meditation. I've tried crystals. I've tried that. I've tried, you know, like I, I try the Crystal things. Crystal meth. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, no, I, I've tried all sorts of different things. And it kind of depends on what I need. Um my anxiety, though, has been through the roof kind of since COVID. And I know a lot of oh, people sure. have said the same thing, like that it's just way worse than it's ever been. And I, I feel that like I feel that every single day. And it's just it's always there. And yeah. then I add fun little holes, which make it so fun. <laughs> so fun. Wait, you have trypophobia? What? It's the fear of many holes. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I'll add that to my list of diagnoses. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I'm, well, I just had a, a little brain fart. Sorry. So the anxiety accepting the, anxi- oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I'm always, it, it's always interesting to me, people who work in the mental health field. Um, I feel like I, I haven't met one that didn't have anxiety, mm-hmm. which is super interesting because to go into a field like that 
is it a way of proving that or trying to prove that I have a handle on my own diagnosis and now I want to help others? Did you like, do you ever get that sense? With some. Okay. I think we all go into the mental health field with really great intentions. Like I think that we really genuinely, most of us will go gravitate towards things that we know. Mm. Like, so I will gravitate towards anxiety. I will gravitate towards grief. I will go, I'll gravitate towards sexual, like sexual trauma. Like, because I know the things and I can really fully empathize with somebody on it. And so when you think of 75% of actual therapeutic growth comes from that relationship between therapist and a client, that it's, I get it. Like, and you can tell when someone really gets it. You know, if someone comes into my office with an eating disorder, I can't fully empathize. And so I'm not the right fit ah, for you. I see. Okay. Um, and so it's just a lot of us, we do have a lot of anxiety. And I think it's our way of like, we get it. And so we want to try to help somebody else, even though we can't always fully get a full grasp on our own anxiety. That just was a huge click in my brain as to like, I'm pretty sure everyone, everyone that I've ever known who has tried therapy, mm-hmm. there's always a failed one, at mm-hmm. least one. Mm-hmm. And that connection, I think, is what what was missing as to why it seems like we're just not there, mm-hmm. is that lack of, of understanding. But you do have this massive toolbox for what you do know. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody's a little jaded as to like, I mean, you heard me talking shit about that therapist. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, and that makes so much more sense. He mm-hmm. probably dealt more with trauma stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was searching for that as to mm-hmm. this is a problem that I can solve. Yep. But what you're saying sounds, seems to make more sense is to say rather than say like trying to, uh, we'll figure it out. Yep. Going, this is what I do know. And maybe this person, oh, I guess I don't know if you ever do referrals. Oh, yeah. You do. Okay. Yeah. I am 100%. If we don't jive, and I tell this to my clients in the beginning all the time, if if you're just not feeling it, that's okay. Let me help you find somebody then. If I'm not the right fit, then I'm not the right one. And you deserve the best. And so let's help you find the best. Like, I really want to normalize that because I'm not for everybody. I'm really not. (laughs) And that's okay. And it's, you need to have somebody, especially when you're going into some of the deepest, darkest parts of your soul. If you don't trust me, you don't like me. It is a waste of your time and it's a waste of my time. It's just like a a primary care physician. Mm -hmm. Like they don't do everything. Mm -hmm. They can help you find those things. And nobody seems to question that. But when it comes to therapy, we become super jaded and it's like, ugh, they just sucked. They were dry, blah, blah, blah. And we come up with all these bullshit excuses. Man, this yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. This is my favorite part. Well, Listeners, you've heard me say this before. I learned something almost every single episode. So awesome. That's great. Back to the childhood stuff. Where do you land in uh, age? Or in, because you said you have four siblings? Yes. Okay, so where are you in that? I am the smack dab. Well, no, not smack dab middle. So um, in birth order, it's really kind of interesting. Um, so my sister is seven years older than me. My brother was five years older than me. My next sister, she is 11 years younger than me. And then my youngest sister is 13 years younger than me. Oof. 
And so when we look at birth order traits, I have all of them. Of every the single middle child? I do have, I have middle child. <laughs> so I have firstborn traits because after a certain point, it's like seven years that you start to become like the, because you're in a completely developmental milestone. And so you become like an only child or a firstborn. And so I have traits of a firstborn. I have traits of a middle. I have traits of a baby. So it's really, it's really interesting. Wow. That actually makes a lot of sense. This this is great. I'm going to have to have you on multiple times because I'm enjoying this. Um, but my youngest brother, the oldest brother is 15 years older than him. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, there was no, like, we go to school together mm-hmm. for any of the brothers. So I'm a child of five as well. Okay. And he is on the spectrum as well. Okay. So on top of baby, you know, uh, child. Um, so they were like, they were less restricted less restrictive but kept more of an eye on him Mm -hmm. so he yeah he kind of has all of those traits as well and it's definitely shows uh as an adult now Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's my my parents uh do a breakfast train oh okay i'm gonna all that stuff gets cut out i'm sorry it's a fun conversation but back to um that childhood dynamic um what was your relationship like with your mom then? Um, my mom had her own stuff kind of growing up. She had she had her own symptoms. She was never diagnosed with anything. Um, but she she did struggle. She struggled a lot. And so I spent a lot of my childhood feeling very alone um, because my siblings were off doing their thing. My mom, she was dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. And so she was kind of doing her thing. And so... I, a lot of my first formative memories is just me kind of like walking around the woods by myself. Yeah. Is that how you became a Wiccan? Yes. Yes. I, so. I made actually more like Blair Witch Project. <laughs> I'd make little stick figures out there. Um, no, which was really actually funny because I broke my arm falling like two feet out of a tree. Oh, my God. So I would walk around the woods, but I had a strict rule of you cannot climb any trees. And so I would stare at all these trees like, I want to climb these trees. I I want to climb them. And then I did once. And then it was just that intense guilt. Like, oh, my God, I broke the rule. It was, yeah, no. You're a very interesting individual because you have these like type A traits. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. But do you have ADD? Um, I have diagnosed myself. (laughs) But I also have a lot of trauma. And okay, so okay. anxiety, trauma, they they can look very similar ah. to ADD, ADHD. Because you have a very fun, I never use this phrase, aura. Thank you. And a lot of times like type A are a little more closed off. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see like these set of rules that you have. Mm-hmm. But I also would imagine like... You're the type of person who, like, you're in movies when they're on a tour at the museum. You grab your friend's hand and you're like, let's go over here. He's not looking. And then you go and you look at some other shit. Mm, Yes. And I would have intense anxiety (laughs) about doing it. Because, like, oh, my God, if I get caught, I'm going to get kicked out. Um, Yeah. Like, I'm a very extroverted introvert. And it's... Ah. It, yeah, and I'm a chameleon, so it's like I, I definitely feed off of people a lot. Oh, like my okay. mirror neurons go crazy around other people. Wait, what was that phrase? Mirror neurons. 
What is that? So we all have them. So I used to explain it like when we get together with people, like we're constantly cop like swapping. Chem- I keep hitting that. Sorry. It's fine. We keep like we're constantly swapping chemicals. And so we will tend to then mirror what another like what someone else is thinking, what other behaviors are. Um, and so a lot of mental health therapists like our mirror neurons are very strong. So maybe it's empath, mirror neurons, whatever. But like the term mirror neurons is so whatever chemicals the other person's brain is releasing, I almost tend to take that on. Wow. And so if like my client is just freaking exhausted, I will like literally start to do the head bob. Or if they're like just kind of all over the place, like space cadets, and like it'll just all of a sudden like, oh, uh-huh. Like, oh, sorry, sorry. And it becomes a running joke. Like you were really spacey today. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could tell, you know, like, just a joke between the two of us because mine are so strong. And so when I get with people that are very happy and upbeat, I am that person. But if I have somebody who's like really fucking pissed off, mm. like I, I get kind of more reserved and more like just turn inwards. Interesting. Cause those are, those are chemicals that you don't necessarily know how to don't know what to do with those. Uh, Anger, I just don't do well with anger. Like I've had yeah, a lot of anger. Maybe I didn't but... phrase that right. So like in in the the case of that mirror neurons thing, mm-hmm. there's like a like a toll booth mm-hmm. where your neurons see it and then they go, Oh yeah, we know this one. Mm-hmm. Get on in here. Mm-hmm. But then when there's like rage or racism or mm-hmm. weird shit like that, toll booth's like, no, no. Mm-hmm. You gotta go back to Long Island. You mm-hmm. can't come over here. And even with that, it's kind of like a sometimes, yeah, it is so like go back to Long Island. <laughs> but in the context of like racism, sexism, stuff like that, like then it almost seems like my rage magnifies because one, it goes against my ethics. Mm-hmm. And two, then it's like I'm picking up on your rage and I'm I'm fucking pissed off, too. Oh, I see. OK, OK, OK. I see. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, we're kind of all over the place because we I, are. I have ADHD. So, uh, so this is why this is going to go really well, and we're going to need multiple episodes. <laughs> Usually, why I say that, yeah. Um, okay, but sometimes, like when it, when mm-hmm. things are able to be articulated properly, mm-hmm. I just go with it. Mm-hmm. So as long as it makes sense, I'm fine with kind of jumping all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the the childhood stuff. Did you feel like a um? sense of responsibility to step up in certain areas then uh yes um and i felt a lot of responsibility to just kind of be the quiet one to kind of stay out of the way Mm. um more of the responsibility like i always desperately wanted to make my mom proud and when i couldn't reach that like it was a huge blow Mm. because I couldn't reach it. And then even when I did reach it, if I didn't get a certain certain feedback, certain response, whatever, it still felt like that huge blow, like I didn't do enough. Oh. And so yeah. I very vividly remember like hitting the A on a roll because I was told all along, like you need to be on the A on a roll, you need to be on the A on a roll. I got on the A on a roll. Oh, good. Do it again. Like, Ugh. Okay. What did your okay. mom do for work? She was a stay-at-home mom. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is, like, it, 
How do I explain this? The situation where you're in constant proximity of somebody and you know what they are capable of and all of their faults. Mm-hmm. When they achieve something, it's like, what do you want, a cookie? Mm-hmm. Like, I experience that sometimes with Kim because she does so much mm-hmm. that when I do something and I'm like, oh, don't worry, I got it. She's like, and? Mm-hmm. I'm like, but I'm a good boy. Right. <laughs> Give me a treat. <laughs> right. Well, and we we as humans, we all respond to that. Like, someone had said it to me long ago and for a long time I'm like, hmm. It's funny. But now I just embrace it. Like we are very trainable like dogs. Like mm-hmm. we love that reinforcement. So, you know, if I sit pretty, are you going to put a treat on my nose? Perfect. <laughs> I'll do it again. Um, and yeah, I mean, we 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 fill on that. We really do. Did your mom try to push all of you in certain careers? Like, did she um, think that everybody should do this or... Was it more just whatever you're going to do, stick to it and be the best at it? It was more like that. Like okay. she really, because um, for a long time I wanted to be a fashion designer. <gasps> How that went in a completely different direction, I don't know. Um, but she really embraced that. So graduate, go to college, get your degree and go be a fashion designer. Do the best that you can. Um, and so that's, you know, that was so in my head for a long time, like the, the number one thing she stressed is you're going to go to college and you're going to get a degree, mm-hmm. which I think was partly from her because she got pregnant really young. She got married and pregnant really young. Oh. And so she wasn't, I mean, then she, all she knew was being a mom. And so that was her thing is like, you go to college, you get your degree. And so my sister had dropped out right before her semester. My brother, he, um, I think he even dropped out after like one semester and didn't go back. And so it was then kind of like, oh, okay, I have to I have to do it. I have to be that person. And I'm going to do it, damn it. <laughs> and so I did. I graduated with my college degree. And I was all excited. And um, it actually then coincided with my brother going back into jail. And so... Whoa, whoa, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wh- jail? My, yeah, my brother was in and out of jail. Okay. Multiple times. Well, we'll have to talk about that in a second. Okay. Continue. Um, but so I like I graduated, I got my degree, I walked across the stage, I did all the things, then I walk out and I don't see them. I'm like, where where are they? And I call and they're like, Oh, we're we're on our way home because she had to go be available to talk to him if he needed to talk. If he needed to talk? He would call her every day. Okay. So when he was in prison, when he was in jail, he would call her every day. Uh, it's so frustrating because my brain goes one time event, multiple mm-hmm. chances for mm-hmm. this one. I, I I can't wrap my head around folks who are able to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, was she like kinder to him? Like, did it seem like she gave him more attention? She did give him more attention. Um I learned very young to be independent. Okay. And so I am kind of a spitfire. I'm independent. I I, I do my own thing. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it was just, it was very much, I don't know if I gave off the impression I didn't need her or what. And he definitely needed her. Oh. And so she, she went to the person who needed her the most, which as a mom now, like I logically get, but there's still that wound. There's still that, that hurt that 
Like, why not me? Why not me? I wonder if like how we were talking about that whole, um, you were born with a degree in carrying life. Mm -hmm. I wonder if stay at home mom, this is what she's here for. Mm -hmm. And so her career path said, this is, this is where the attention goes. Mm Mm-hmm. This is how we succeed as a family is making sure that everybody is good. I know she's fine because mm-hmm. she's she makes her own toast. She paints her toenails. Mm-hmm. She falls out of trees. Two feet. <laughs> Two feet. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Yeah. As you. Yeah. I mean, this is this part is always interesting. Mm-hmm. Like when you start to have more achievements as an adult, mm-hmm. were they recognized at all? Like or did she relate to you you know what i mean because like yes i after my brother passed away she did uh, our relationship changed after he had passed away and so when i went to grad school um because even that whole process that was super quick between the time that i'm like i'm gonna go to grad school and when i started was a month um and so along that process, she was really, she was really helpful. She helped walk me through how to apply for loans. She was really encouraging. She cheered me on. And we, we, she celebrated that, that I was going on and I was doing this on my own. Um, and so when I did graduate, like it was, it was a thing. And I told her, I don't want a grad party or anything like that. Like this is, it's, it's a master's. I've already had a grad party. I don't mm. need anything else, but, um, and becoming a mom. She really celebrated that because she knew I worked so hard to be a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I so desperately wanted. So I think once, even part of once my healing started is when I was able to kind of see things from her side, that that's when she felt the connection more and she was able to reciprocate. Okay. But in the meantime, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of like, I don't need you from me. Um which, I mean, as human beings, like, if someone rejects us, we're going to not want to gravitate towards them. Was she privy to kind of the, I love, I love you, that's my dad, and we have a healthy relationship. That's wonderful. I'm so glad for you. <laughs> we all deserve healthy, healthy relationships. <laughs> Shit, what was I going to say? Oh, was she privy to, like, any of the, like, mental struggles that you were going through? Yes. Yep. Ah. Yep. And I was um I was often told to put a smile on my face. Pretend happy. She didn't have the correct words for it, I think, because if we start our day off with three positive positive or things oh. we're grateful for, like we can change our brain. Like we can change the whole functioning, right? Yep. Um so I think that was just her way of trying to give that type of Oh, suggestions. But in the same time, she she had that that therapist like you had. She had the bullshit therapist or the one that just didn't jive with her. Mm. Um, And so she didn't have a lot of great experience with mental health. And so in my teen years, I had I had attempted suicide. And so she tried doing therapy with me or she had brought me to therapy and it just wasn't working. Um, She tried uh, therapy with or like having him go to therapy a couple times edit that out um yeah no that's funny because as soon as you said the name i was like yep (laughs) um so she tried therapy with him or having him go to therapy having him go rehab um 
And it just, uh, several times she did get attacked by different therapists, like verbal mm. attacking. And so she just, she was anti-therapy. So she she knew of my struggles. She knew of my trauma history, but it was, and I don't know. <sighs> okay. As much as I love diving into why I think parents of our generation, because you're 30? 35. 35. Oh, we're the same age. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know exactly then. Mm-hmm. There's a generation of women who were, let me take one one journey back. Mm-hmm. So their parents went through bullshit, mm-hmm. misogyny, sexism, assaults, catcalling, like all of the things. And we're just taught to look forward, keep moving. Mm-hmm. And so when per, like when their kids come and present that to them, they go, oh, well, I know. Mm-hmm. You just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Because I went through the exact same thing. And this is just what happens to women. Mm-hmm. And so that goes on for so long that when it happened to our generation, we were like, uh, no. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have resources now that say... That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And so it's this mind fuck of like, like that whole starving children in Africa argument, right? Mm-hmm. Just because they're starving children in Africa doesn't mean I'm not going to throw away this last slice of pizza because I'm full. Mm-hmm. They think on all of the things that they went through and they're like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. We, I made it through. How come you're not just sacking up and mm-hmm. <laughs> making it through this stuff? Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating because- it doesn't seem like until we become adults that they go, I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's, I mean, the frustration in that moment is like, God, I feel like I told you mm-hmm. and you just weren't listening. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm glad that we're here. Yeah. But there's resentment there. Yep. So, I mean, did she ever allude to any of the shit that she went through? Yes. Okay. I have heard the phrase, it happened to me, but worse. <sighs> and even in that context, I didn't give all the, the description of what happened. I didn't go in depth. Okay. I had just said, this is very simple. Like I was molested. And then that was it. And then it was not talked about again. <sighs> I don't know how much you're willing to go into on certain topics, but... Growing up and being that you were independent, Mm -hmm. did that seem to create scenarios where you ended up in hairy situations like for your age? Does that make sense? Um, I think because I was I felt so alone. Mm. That's where when first it started with two individuals and then it went to one um, where, hey. I'll give you this attention. I will give you this love. Mm. I was at an age I didn't know any different. Right. I thought, oh yeah, yeah. I want, I want, I want affection. I want love. Not knowing that, no, this is not right. This is not okay. And it went on for several years. And I was, I was, I, I felt starved for love and affection. And I felt just like, in that moment, it felt like what I needed, and that was how I was going to get what I needed. Yeah. Even though it was not okay. And as an adult, I know it's not okay. And knowing other people go through it, I know it's not okay. But I also know 
why sometimes. That is even trickier. Mm-hmm. Like, like we were saying before, the curse of knowledge is like when I talk to people who work with sex offenders. Mm-hmm. First of all, I didn't even know that there were people that worked with sex offenders. I thought they just got written off and thrown in jail and that was it. Mm-hmm. When I learned about that whole process, it's like, how do you like you? I mean, society, we grew up saying castrate them, mm-hmm. drag them behind a horse, like do all of the horrible things mm-hmm. to sexual offenders. So how do you then try to find these not necessarily redeemable qualities, but like qualities where you can go, okay, I understand mm-hmm. and try to help them beyond because they're, I mean, you know, they have a life afterwards. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that is one area I, I can't like, I, I, I just cannot, I can never work with a sex offender. And that's, that's part of the ethical codes of, of marriage and family therapy is like, we're not supposed to do harm. Mm. Like non-malfeasance, we're not supposed to do harm. We're not supposed to do, you know, like hurt people unintentionally. And I know going into that session, mm, I can't promise that I wouldn't not like physically harm them, but I can promise no. that I wouldn't. Oh, uh, I just said this the other day. <laughs> I'm I'm a weak little boy, mm-hmm. but man, when it comes to like mental pain, mm-hmm. I can do some damage. Mm-hmm. And so I hold back big time because like, you change somebody's entire mind frame, right? When you throw, when you, when you have the magical powers, mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you randomly just say, "Cause you suck," <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I I feel like I do I do wonder where because I have this perception that everyone knows my intentions, mm-hmm. and so I'm allowed to fuck with everybody. Yeah, but sometimes at the end of the day, I'm like, what if? I had made that joke and they didn't receive it. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky that like it works out, but I am paranoid about that one one time where someone's <laughs> going to be like, "The one time you really think I suck?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's that's a that's a funny point because yeah, I think about that a lot, mm-hmm. but I can't stop. Cause... Well, you are in the the field <laughs> where you should give people shit. <laughs> It's just for those who are the receiving end where it's like, what what the fuck just happened? <laughs> but yeah, I, I get what you mean is to like, how do you how do you hold back? I have someone right now where I cannot talk to them because I know exactly what I would say mm-hmm. if they tried to open up dialogue. And it's like, I, I would do bad things. Mm-hmm. So I need some time before I can. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the schooling that you went through and the education that you have when your mom came back around, mm-hmm. you did have a bag of, of tricks where you could have been like, Hey, this is what you were while I was growing up mm-hmm. and really thrown it in her face. Like, did you find yourself like res- trying to restrain yourself or like hold back on certain conversations? Yeah. Just because I didn't want to hurt her. I still feel it's very much like it's not an eye for an eye type of situation. Right. And so my pain, I don't need to pass on that pain to other people, knowing that other people have their own pain that they're trying to work with and manage. And so it was a lot of work that I went through, even like 
with my own therapy in grad school, they have you do didactic, which is a fancy word for therapy. Oh, okay. And so I did um, didactic individual and group didactic um, and like really, really honed in on it. And it about 2020 is when I finally started to fully flip of like, I can empathize with her. Interesting. I can see this. Just it, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of time to release that resentment. But when I finally got to the point where like, okay, I can understand. I get, I don't, I don't agree with how things would go. I, I don't always agree with everything that she decided to do. But you know what? That's not my life. Yeah. I know she loves me. Like, I know that in my heart. She loves me. And she loved me in the way that she best could. Yeah. There, I mean, there's like a, a million things of, or trains of thought, but like, first thing that popped into my head is like the the difficulty for I don't know what else to say, but civilians <laughs> in discerning accepting something and approving of something mm-hmm. and how they're two different things. Mm-hmm. But I think because of like the way that society is now, it's like if you accept it, that means that's your stance and mm-hmm. that means it carries so much weight now mm-hmm. that like to try and learn how to accept and understand means you're admitting defeat and now you're on the bad guy side Mm -hmm. on on the same coin. It's like those of us who do accept, Mm -hmm. it's hard to like shed those thoughts of like, I, I really don't like this person Mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. And does that make me a bad person? Because I'm saying I accepted this thing, Mm -hmm. but Am I actually over it or am I? Does that make sense? Like, right, right. Well, and there's even the whole like accepting versus like full blown forgiveness and mm. moving forward. It's the whole concept of I can forgive, but I can't forget. You know, I can oh. accept, but maybe I don't forgive. It, you know, we all fall in some sort of continuum, especially if someone does us wrong of yeah. where we are with all of that. Like, okay, I can accept that this happened. You know, the whole concept, DBT concept of radical acceptance. Like, I understand it happened and I'm going to accept it. I don't like it, but I, I'm going to accept it because this is a reality. But there's still more work to do in this area of it, you know? Yeah. Um, when you were going through school and you're starting to learn about um, certain things, were there, like, triggers in your studies that would kind of put you aback um, because it's it's always interesting learning about our own like mm-hmm. frailties and things and mm-hmm. going, Oh my God, this is why I feel this way. Or, or this is why this person was able to do this to me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like, do you remember like being in like your, I don't know if you're in a dorm or whatever, but like studying and going, Oh fuck. Um, y- I've had several of those moments, including this morning. Um, But yep, no, I very vividly remember it because I was in because at their graduate school, it it does or it used to do things differently. It's more kind of mainstream now, but it used to do things differently. So like class two, it was lifestyle assessment. Mm. And so I was sitting with someone who actually ended up being in the same town as me. And we were on the front steps of Adler. I'm looking right at um, used to be Water Park of America and the question of. Have you ever been abused? And in, in parentheses, verbal, emotional, or sexual. It's like, well, 
let's fucking do this. Okay. <laughs> I got to give you an accurate assessment. And like right then is where like it really started like that whole process of healing from that. Um, Cause I, I, I would tell people here and there, but it was so deep tight. Like I'm Shrek, I'm an onion. And so it takes people a long time to get to that, that layer. Um, but I'm like, if I'm going to make the most of it, if I'm really going to heal, if I actually think I'm going to fucking help somebody, I need to do my own shit. And so that's, yeah, I mean, starting right even then. And then my my master's paper, because I don't call it a thesis anymore, at mm. least now there, um, does race affect resiliency in childhood sexual abuse? And even reading different cultures and how they would possibly respond to this. Interesting. Um, and it, it was, it was very much like, okay, so I can understand because we in America are more individualistic. I can get why it was a an individual problem. It was an us problem, not let's all group together to work on this. I can understand why, you know, why my protective factors were the way they were. So maybe I didn't necessarily feel safe in my family, but I found another family. Like mm. I found my friend family and that boosted my resilience. It it was a lot of really eye-opening things for me. And it was, I, I felt very healed for a while and then having kids. And that always brings out, out a whole can of worms of, oh shit, my childhood trauma's not gone. Because <laughs> um, now I have to expect these little humans to, like, I, I, I'm expected to be this perfect parent for these little humans that are going to test my buttons every day. <laughs> but Yeah, that happened to me in treatment. Mm-hmm. I've told the story on here a million times, but um, the, like as I'm going through stuff, so we would see like four or five counselors throughout the day, a therapist and a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So one they would do assessments and then one that would prescribe stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm with the therapist, you know, he's asking about my childhood and things and he's like, you know, did you experience any, anything traumatic? And I was like, I don't think so. And I started thinking, I'm like, I guess I've told people about this this time when I was six years old and I watched my best friend has sex with his cousin. Mm-hmm. It like never goes away in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, this is why I was addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. Because this in this shed, he was r- like using these magazines as like a reading manual. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, what if that happened to my kid? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a six-year-old. And so I just spiraled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, but like, so it can be so brutal, those discoveries. Yep. Or it can be this like, oh, okay. Where like, I don't I don't know. There's there's these these two different ways of like dealing with really, really heavy shit. And it's weird when it's just a sigh and you go, oh, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that's why. Like, discovering that versus discovering I had bipolar, mm-hmm. totally different. And I think one, like, is something that I actually have to actively work on. Mm-hmm. And the other is, like, forming acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so it was, like, it was interesting to be, like, this thing that I have to do forever. Mm-hmm. Is just a sigh to go, okay, that's why I thought that I was like connected to the universe and that I could like, had like magical 
you know, personality powers or some shit. Mm -hmm. And that's why I could connect with people so quickly. And it's like, no, it's because you had a pattern of behavior of not respecting people's boundaries. And then you do that your whole life and you learn how to talk to everybody because you weren't respecting boundaries. Mm -hmm. Also, you have codependency. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I get that. Like, even so, when you threw that curveball at me on Friday as we were talking, because I was all intending to come and talk about yeah, grief. Yeah, actually, I didn't get a chance to really, like, ask you about that. So, yeah, I had a goal of, like, what I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that I had seen that CPTSD mm-hmm. meme online. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I have somebody here who can tell me what this means. Yep. And then you were like... Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, no, even in that. Con- so that conversation that we had where we talked about how people struggle to admit when they're wrong. And mm. so uh, when you asked me, is this true with CPTSD, that it's just kind of part of who you are now, like it's so ingrained. And I'm like, hmm, no. Well, I've been diagnosed with it, but no. And then thinking about it through yesterday and, oh, but this is one of what about this trait and this trait and this trait and this? And so it's like, mm, I was wrong in that moment. Interesting. Um, and then even because I wanted to be prepared because I was prepared for a whole different conversation. And it's like, okay. But, you know, like those moments where what, whatever it is that's out there that throws it in your face, like, hey, you get to fucking work on this today. <laughs> it was one of those moments like, okay, I get to work on, on my, my diagnosis today. Um I wanted to be prepared. And so even reading through kind of the differences with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, because that's what CPTSD is versus post-traumatic stress disorder. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, like it was a series of oh, shit. And even when I was thinking yesterday of a topic I was going to bring up of just like, I have a great group of people that I've surrounded myself with, but I think I will always feel alone like, I think that's just kind of a part of, of, of who I am. I've accepted it. I've learned to kind of work with it when it pops up. And then as I pull this up, one of them is just like a constant feeling of alone. It's like, oh, okay. That's where that comes from. I get it. That makes sense. And so like the classic uh, form of, of diagnosing this I, I, if I'm understanding correctly, was uh, multiple exposure over time? Yeah. So with complex PTSD, it is, uh, I can pull up the, the whole <laughs> definition here. Um, it's a proposed, so it's not in the DSM-5. So the DSM is the Diagnostic Service Manual. All of us therapists ah, use it okay. um, to have insurance pay for things. We have to have a code. And okay. so this big fat book... That was written by a handful of people, which is supposed to represent every therapist out there. Mm. Um, I have my own qualms about the DSM. (laughs) And so this is not in the DSM. It is a proposed because it is so prevalent. Because most people don't just have one traumatic event. It's a series of events. And so we have these personality traits that come out of them. But it's not a personality disorder. It's a a different ballgame, right? Um, So... It is uh, complex trauma is ongoing or repeated interpersonal trauma where the victim is traumatized in captivity. I don't know why they use that specific term because it's not just in captivity where there is no perceived way to escape. Um, I wonder if that includes like 
uh, perceived like captivity. I would assume so. I wish she would have, per- or that person would have been perceived though. I'm a stickler on words. <laughs> Whole reason yeah. why you have to use alleged before abuse if it's not proven. Well, and I mean, that's people try to get out of their diagnosis mm-hmm. by saying, I don't have that exact thing. Mm-hmm. And so yep. it's like, well, it's up for interpretation too. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but please continue. Yeah. So ongoing child abuse is captivity abuse because the child cannot escape. Domestic violence is another one. Uh, symptoms endured by complex trauma survivors are outside of the list symptoms within the uncomplicated PTSD diagnostic criteria. And so it's the impact of complex trauma is very different to a one-time or short-lived trauma. It The effect of repeated ongoing trauma caused by people changes the brain and also changes the survivor at a core level. It changes the way survivors view the world, the other people, and themselves in profound ways. That is interesting. So, it, so it's not considered a personality disorder. No, it's Very interesting. it's under the the PTSD umbrella. Hmm. Because I could see how. Because now, in thinking of like the way the trajectory of my life, mm-hmm. there, there's, I don't know. It's weird. It's a series of what would be perceived as traumatic events. Mm-hmm but they don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And I always feel weird about that because it's like, am I waiting for something to hit me and then go? Cause I have multiple suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, uh, on adult mental health unit twice. Like all of these things have happened, but my brain just goes to, this is now material that I have or knowledge that I have to be able to assist others Mm -hmm. rather than being like, have you, I haven't talked to anybody about it. Mm -hmm. Like not like on a professional level, which is always a like do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Oh yeah. Your special rules. (laughs) I have my own special rules. It's okay. I say it very endearingly. But I tell people that therapy is important and, and like the reason why people People in therapy are important. And the reason why they're booked out for months on mm-hmm. end is because we don't have the tools to be able to completely understand what it is that we're going through. Mm-hmm. And we definitely don't, especially in the Midwest, I think, we definitely don't know how to create proper coping mechanisms. What? <laughs> you don't say. So, I mean... With the the things that I've been through and the interactions that I have had with therapists and psychiatrists and things, my brain always goes to like, I relate to somebody, I trauma bond with somebody, mm-hmm. and they're like talking, and there there's this sense of relief relief I can tell mm-hmm. because they're like finally somebody understands. But the mistake being that they think that they can just come and tell me all of the things that they did wrong, and I'm not gonna go. Well, how come you're not doing this? Mm-hmm. Hey, are you still taking your medication? Are you talking to anybody? You recognize that you have the issue. How come you're going back and and just ignoring the fact that you know this thing about yourself? Mm-hmm. And then they get all butthurt and they're like, "Just wanted a trauma bond again. I don't. Want- <laughs> I don't want to deal with my issues. Why would we actually deal with them?" <laughs> um. So I mean, yeah, it's it's really interesting. So. I, now that I think about it, this, like, were you able to categorize, uh, no, catalog the amount of traumatic events that you went through? 
when I went through EMDR, I had the whole list. My therapist loved me. I would come in like with my journal, like, okay, these are the traumas and do, 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 do. And these are my coping skills and do, 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 do. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just put it, put it down, put it down. Um, but I, I have, I have gone through kind of like the list of traumas that I've gone through. And it's just, I get asked a lot if I even talk about a few of them. People are like, how are you normal? Well, I'm not. <laughs> and I don't know. Um, because it's just as, as you're going through it. And like with each individual case, like I register it for what it is. But when I lay it all out there, it's just like, God damn. Like it's, it's intense. It's intense to think about. And that's yeah. why I have to. I have to be an onion because then I can deal with one layer at a time. Oh, interesting. Because normally when I hear people throw that uh, analogy out there, mm -hmm. it's it feels more like in a sense of like I'm closing mm -hmm. or I'm shutting people out and I'm not letting them have these things. Mm -hmm. But when you describe it that way, that actually makes more sense because it's almost like having security checks. Yep. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. In EMDR, it would definitely like... I would, and we would joke within the the whole therapy, like, oh, I've reached my layer because my, my brain would let me get so far and then it would just, it would stop. Like it would just stop processing. Like, okay. Wow. And then I would have this week long of like all these realizations of different things. And it was always when I was either cleaning or like taking a shower. It was like the most weird, like, dude, yes. Poof. That's why. Um, But I also believe a lot in like, movement like somatic movement somatic intervention so it makes sense like as i'm cleaning oh you're giving me a funny look i, I have never heard that before um so arielle schwartz she is in my lovely <laughs> bag here of Beautiful books puppy bag yep um i brought several of her books that i have so she's kind of one of the leading uh, therapists who work on complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh. And so actually, as I began doing EMDR, I had taken a, a course, like a, a three-day seminar with her as she was talking about this. And so, love Ray Wade. As she was talking, she gave the analogy of, uh, well, first I'll start off with, so we as children we know what we need to do that's why you see kids thrown on the floor slamming around they're having a big emotion and they're physically processing it oh. right but we are told don't do that sit still do this da, da 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 so then we learn to stop trusting that gut feeling of i need to move right now oh wow but then she used the analogy of so let's say a fox is chasing a rabbit through the woods like this is a perceived life-threatening experience for this rabbit right uh -huh. and so the rabbit jump jump jumps escapes fox goes fox goes away so the the bunny will just shake it'll just shake keep shaking until it's done and then it will just hop away wow. it doesn't just stop its life because it's it's terrified that a fox is going to get it it then moves on it physically processes through it and moves on wow i've never heard that before mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting so, I mean, it's it, it It was one of those light bulb moments. So, like, cleaning, that makes sense. My body's telling me to move. So, I'm going to move. And I'm going to move in ways that make sense to me. And then, bing, 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 bing. Okay. Life understood. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that makes uh, so much freaking sense. Mm-hmm. And is so applicable to so many people that are like that that whole million thoughts a second mm-hmm. just happened to me and oh, oh wow i right. like that a lot and that's why it makes sense why exercise works so well yeah because our exactly. body is moving doesn't work for everybody i get that but it does work well yeah wow that's super interesting Ariel Schwartz, I can... Ariel Schwartz. I can drop down her name for you if you're going to check out any of her yes. books. Well, the nice thing about this being recorded is that I already have documented. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can listen to my voicing over and over and over again. Ariel Schwartz, Ariel Schwartz, Ariel Schwartz. Yeah. Where were we going with this? Processing through stuff. Oh, cataloging and all, mm-hmm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting um, when you were talking about, you know, you have those moments in the shower where you're like, yeesh. Mm-hmm. Um, like people like us are perceived as like happy, outgoing, mm-hmm. got it together. But I feel like that's the shit that happens is like people don't know that like I'll hear a song mm-hmm. and go, uh oh, mm-hmm. I buried some stuff and mm-hmm. then just cry. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the day, I'm like, I want to do that again. Right. I want to go and like I, I will say at times like I need a cry mm-hmm. because I've, dealt with so much heavy shit and just like i don't know i don't know if it's because of all the other stuff i've been through where i go yeah this is just we're gonna do this now and don't you know make sure that this person's okay and blah 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 blah, blah mm-hmm. and not focus on myself at all and then my my brain is like hey you're a sad boy mm-hmm. you need to go do sad boy things mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've i mean i've told a couple of people but like i don't know if it's a coping mechanism necessarily but it's a massive form of release for me where i go and seek out like happy sad stuff mm-hmm. to provoke tears to come out and then it's like this release for my body mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah oh yeah when you know it you know you need to to let it out otherwise you're just going to be a fucking mess no matter what just angry bitter whatever and so you find your triggers that's going to make you finally release i'm gonna watch a best of compilation of America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. All the golden buzzers. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to watch P.S. I Love You. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. That one fucking wrecks me every time. Mm-hmm. Or Titanic. Kim just rewatched Titanic not too long ago. That's really funny. I, seriously, she needs to fill out the application <laughs> to be one of my new best friends. It's just an instant accept. I told her. I was like... So are you in your career when you're going through EMDR and all that, mm-hmm. how do you like separate what you know from what you need? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Cause it feels it, like it's an easy way to shut somebody off mm-hmm. or like, I don't know. Like I know this, mm-hmm. I already know this. Don't do that. Cause let's just, I want to do X, Y, Z. So, like, how do you stop yourself from trying to control those things? The therapist tells you to shut the fuck up and listen to them. <laughs> that was said to me a few times. Um, it, yeah, I mean, there is that piece of uh, of trauma, like the hypervigilance that comes with trauma. Like, I need to control all these different aspects. And so I'm going in here like I'm a marriage and family therapist, too. Like, I, I know why you're telling me to do this. I know why you're telling me to do that. I know all these things, but I'm coming to you for a heavy hitter. Because the regular things that we talk about, it's not working as well anymore. I got to a certain point, they're not working. Like, I literally have been 
and it was, it was a really bad time when I went into EM, like EMDR, like my world just literally like imploded. Um, like it's, it's not working. And so I need something heavier. I need a bigger hitter. More than EMDR? No, more than like the, the standard talk therapy. Oh, 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 okay. Um, I thought you were looking for like some Area 51 shit on. No, no. <laughs> uh, if aliens could fix me, please. That'd be great. But, and so it was very much a like, you don't have control right now. You need to just let me do my thing. It's, okay. And so there was a huge part of it where I had to, had to let go. Which really was complex, which that one, number one, deep fear of trust. So trust <laughs> is a huge thing for me. It's like, okay, I have to trust that you are going to take care of me. This is hard. And it there was a lot of roadblocks, a lot of roadblocks. It took like six months with one one memory alone because it was wow. just like I kept blocking it. And it was just even, there was one session where they sat me down and they're like, so do you really want to get better? Fuck you. Of course I do. Wow. Well, you're clearly like still preventing yourself. Like, do you 100% feel you're ready? <sighs> Fuck off. And then so I, I'm like, okay, what what part of this memory am I not going to? And there there was very much a part of that memory that I was completely blocking. And oh. so it was like a, okay, I have to do this. Do, Okay. I don't know why I like associate hypnosis with EMDR so much, mm -hmm. but maybe because that's how they do it portrayed in movies. It's mm -hmm. like they lay down and you, you know, you're walking through a hallway, mm -hmm. you open a door and there's a memory. What do you mm -hmm. see? Like, is it like that or no, no, not at all. I've done hypnotherapy oh. and that um, it's, it's not like that. It's just very peaceful. Like it's really nice. Okay. And it was always prefaced like, your brain will not take in information that you don't want. So I can't tell you to exercise five times a week <laughs> if you don't want to exercise five times a week. It doesn't work like that. You're cognizant through the whole thing. Um, it's just, you're just relaxed. Okay. Um, EMDR, the specific form that this person had used was with tappers. So it's like little electrodes, I guess, or like little pads that gently vibrate in oh. an alternating pattern. And so you do close your eyes. You can keep them open if you want, but you close your eyes and you you picture the memory. You picture the cognition that comes with it. So in that in that specific memory, um God, I can't even remember what the because I I processed through it. Um like I am bad or I am unlovable or some something mm, like that. Okay. And so with utilizing the tappers, you watch, you monitor where you feel the sensations within your body and watch them as they kind of pro like progress through you. And once you get to a point where that memory is not really affecting you anymore, that's when you start implementing a positive cognition. What do you want to think about that memory? And then through the tappers vibrating, because what it's doing is it's activating the left and right hemisphere of your brain to work together to reprocess these memories. Oh, wow. I am mm -hmm. so glad you're here. Yeah, no. It's, you have all the things that I wanted today. It is amazing. EMDR is amazing. It doesn't work for everybody. Right. And then there's another. These are the two things that I hear with EMDR. Either it's the best thing that's ever happened mm -hmm. to me or it's the worst thing that's ever mm -hmm. happened. Nobody's ever like, it was okay. Yeah. It's like two of these two extremes right. that I always hear. Right. And there's another, there's actually another form. So if EMDR, if someone's like, it did not work for me, I hate it. 
There is accelerated resolution therapy, which is very similar to EMDR, um, but a few minor changes, but then it tends to work better. Like with grief, EMDR, no, does not work. ART, or accelerated resolution therapy, does. And so they, if one doesn't work, the other will, or most likely. I can't use absolutes with that, but... Did you go to a convention or something for ART? No, but I want to. Okay. I really, really Because that want was to. starting to sound familiar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Art. I know. And I, <laughs> so a lot of people do, like when they talk about it, they say art therapy. And in my brain, I get it so confused with art therapy. Like, look, I made a turkey. Right. I drew a tree with a knot in it. And that talks about my trauma. No, it. So I say ART, which it's abbreviation, or I say accelerated resolution therapy, and then I trip on my words because I speak way more quick, or I think, I don't know. Yeah. So you've, you have learned to give the reins over to this individual? I did in that, in, yeah, within that memory or within that, that context. So it's not necessarily something that you, do for an extended period of time for every single memory? No, no. Some memories go really quick. Some memories take a long time. It just kind of depends on where you're at with all of it. Like the first memory that I brought up, because I wanted to test what it was like. So it was one that was a little distressing, but not terribly distressing. Okay. Took like 20 minutes. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then, um, with that specific memory, because I did fight so hard, it took about six months. And then we were beginning to work on another memory with my mom that it, it kind of stopped midway, but it stopped at that point where I was already implementing. She loved me how she could. And so it was already kind of like in my head when that agency went back to doing telehealth only. And mm-hmm. so I like, okay, well, let's discharge because COVID ain't going to stop, it seems. So... <laughs> It's interesting. What does that physically feel like? Like those six months, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you not recognize that you were stopping? I don't know if it was just this belief that I could completely avoid like one part of it and I could make it go away. But there was one one part where it's like if it did pop up, like, nope, nope, nope. That's that's not part of this memory. Like it, it just I, I stopped it. Okay, so would you be verbalizing and saying no, that didn't happen? Mm-mm. No. Or so that's what I'm curious as yeah. is you have these pads. Mm-hmm. What are you physically doing that is stopping this process? I would in my own head, I would stop it internally. Like no, we are not bringing up this sensation right now. No, we are not bringing up this sensation right now. And so then it would just kind of. I don't know. To me, it almost like would go not blank because I was still within that memory Mm. and I was still processing that cognition, but I just was completely avoiding that one sensation. And then as soon as it's like, okay, let's feel it. And then it was like this huge release. And I always imagined that like there was like those nodules on your head and there's somebody mm-hmm. like monitoring brain waves and yeah. you're like, she's avoiding it. We can see it on the thing. Well, and clearly this person knew I was avoiding something because they called me out on my shit. But So that's what's interesting is yeah. like, so there was something within you that they noticed mm-hmm. and said, uh, mm-hmm. you're not doing something. Mm-hmm. Something's changed. Mm-hmm. That is like, I, I can't imagine having their job. 
Mm-hmm. Like, that <laughs> that right. seems brutal. Right. And then it's something like doing that day in and day out. I, mm, I don't want to do that. I, I always wonder, like, because we always say therapists need therapists. Mm-hmm. When does that chain end? I don't think it ever does. Like, who who's the, like, does it wrap back around to another therapist who was seeing a therapist? And now they, they turn around and see that therapist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where who who is getting left out of the massage train? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it has to be. Like now I'm getting this picture of like first grade where we all used to like draw on our backs like in a circle during story time, like all just drawing on each other's backs. Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean it's probably something like that because I I think therapy's for everybody. I think that we all could use somebody to an unbiased person to hear our stories or listen to our stuff. Um, so I think even if you're a very well-veteran therapist, you might need a therapist sometimes. That's okay. Yeah. Well, and back to like the whole civilian thing, like there are some things that you are privy to that if you try to, you know, vent to your husband or Mm -hmm. to a friend, like they're going to go, what? I don't, Mm -hmm. that would make me crawl into a ball. I don't know how to fucking deal with Mm -hmm. whatever you're going through. Mm -hmm. So yeah, eventually like, it is kind of put into your face to be like, eh, I can't mm-hmm. talk to people. I need somebody who does know how to mm-hmm. talk about this shit. Mm-hmm. Which is always interesting when I tell people that I don't do therapy. But if you're not going to do therapy, do your research. Look into, have, um, oh, I was just, somebody was just telling me about this. So, so somebody was looking for, um, a doctor and or a psychiatrist who is, um, oh, prescription management. I don't okay. know why I was spacing on that. Um, so like the concept of like somebody evaluating what you're taking, mm-hmm. why are you taking it? Has this actually been effective or are you just going through this stuff? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be, I don't know. I think people think that you go and you see a therapist forever. Mm-hmm. Like, if I go and see them, then they're going to know all my secrets. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I have to go and, and see them more or they're, what are they going to do with all that knowledge? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, fine. Then go and do what makes you comfortable. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, if you're going to like be terrified of that process, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So any of that making sense? Like, yeah, if you're not going to do it because people, have used me as an excuse to be like, well, you don't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Technically, no. But, but you've, I, al- you've I, also been through a lot of therapy. I've I've been through what is like mandated therapy. Mm-hmm. In the situations that I'm in, mm-hmm. now I have to do this therapy. Mm-hmm. But I also talk to people who are therapists and have these conversations and explore that process of like beyond having a diagnosis what does that mean and what am i going to do about it mm-hmm. am i going to wallow in it or am i going to look into it more and say okay so if this is actually what's going on then i shouldn't put myself in these situations anymore mm-hmm. like there has to be resolve it right. can't just be i'm a depressed person so and so understands we're going to depress at each other mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. you got to do something right because if nothing changes, nothing changes. You should put that on a t-shirt. 
Um, actually, an amazing <laughs> former coworker of mine, he had it as a sign in his office. Oh, really? And it's just it's always stuck with me. Like that's my it is what it is. That that that's my phrase. Like it's what resonates. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah, I always throw that whole like, if you're not going to do therapy thing, would you mind going on the opposite? way and advocating why you should go to therapy um because everybody in your life is biased everybody and so if you're going to people for advice who are biased they might not always give it to you straight they might not point out specific things or maybe they experience that with you and so they're also trapped in that mind frame right so if you have this unbiased unbiased person who does care about you like I, if I hear one more time, like you only do it for the money, I'm going <laughs> to not punch somebody in the face. I will not do that. Um, scream, rip my hair out, whatever. Um, but an unbiased person who cares about you and who wants you to be better, they're going to call you on your shit. They're going to give you other suggestions. They're going to point out different things to you that maybe your biased individuals will not. Because they think that that will hurt you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean... That that resonated with me big time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an excellent, excellent point. I, I'm dealing with that right now with like a situation where I th- I think that people are hearing me and on my side, and then I watch them out and about, and it's like, if I thought I thought we were in on this together, how come you're doing that? Mm-hmm. And it's like that that totally mm-hmm. man, that's very good. Maybe I should see a therapist. Should I go to BetterHelp? Yeah. <laughs> hmm And do not say that I told you to go there. Because um, I am not claiming that shit. Where, where does forgiving yourself land in that journey? Because I know that there's, especially with uh, assault and, uh, you know, sexual abuse, like, there's a lot of, like, self-hate. Mm-hmm. So do you recall like when you were able to get to that, that like self-forgiveness point? I don't know if self-forgiveness is the right word, but. I think it was through the EMDR process because there was, I I felt I betrayed myself with a lot of sexual abuse victims. They do feel like their body betrayed them. They feel like they betrayed themselves. And by going through that, getting that understanding that I had a need of someone to love me. And that was that form, like everybody, like we all have that need to be loved. And so most of us get it, get it met in appropriate ways. That was a need I had. And so understanding, being able to see why little Jess made that decision, why that was, that was the way that she felt she could get love, right? Being able to understand that. I don't know that I have 100% forgiven myself because i think there's so many more things along that journey but in that through emdr i I really think that i did gain some compassion some understanding some forgiveness towards three-year-old jess towards five-year-old jess towards seven-year-old jess that i didn't have before one thing that's always like really tough to hear is when somebody is been a victim and they say that they should have known better Mm -hmm. it it like it 
creates this like rage mm-hmm. against the world because that shouldn't be a thought. Right. When you're the victim, you shouldn't have to make excuses for mm-hmm. the abuser. Like, but is that a survival thing? Or is it a, a, a byproduct of why did this happen to me? And your brain's just trying to process it. I feel like it's more that. Okay. Like your brain, because our brain constantly needs to find solutions to problems. Like mm. that's why even in our dreams, like in mirror issues oh. that we have in real life, like our brain is constantly searching for that. And it's just, okay, well, I should have stopped it. I should have known better. But we also grew up in a generation that that's what we were told yeah. up until a few years ago. Fuck, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So how does that affect the way... Because how old are your kids now? Six and a half and five. Six and a half and five. Mm-hmm. Are... How how soon do you start to introduce, like, it's okay to process your feelings? And, and I don't know that, like, you're preparing them for the potential of the madness that you know you mm-hmm. went through. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you like properly or safely start to implement that stuff to your own kids? Uh, I started from day one. Uh-huh. From, from day one, like there was these set things like they are not going to hate themselves. They are not going to do this. They're not going to like, they are not going to be trauma survivors. I know I can't prevent that, but like, it was just like these, these like goals, this is what I need. Um, and even from when they could kind of like understand my voice, like, okay, I understand you're feeling sad right now. And sad's okay. So what do we need? Mm. And then especially like um, my older daughter, she, w- she would go through this period of tantrums. Like that's how she would ex- ex- like show her frustration. And so like, okay, what can you and I do together that you can still get your needs met and you can still process through emotion. And so we created this, like, I'm feeling frustrated. Can I have a hug? And we would do like this big bear hug. Ah. So it was still like that, like experiencing aggression, but in a positive way. And so it would then release the oxytocin and we would feel better and, and we could go on. And it was this relationship of just really continuing to bond. Doesn't work so well with my my younger one. She's, she... <laughs> She's my spitfire. She is my sour patch and she is amazing just as she is. I just, she will rule the world someday. <laughs> she will. And I need to help guide her there. Um, so that doesn't work so well, but then it's just, you know, helping her, like just sitting with her, even just sitting with her. as She's going through these, these big emotions and showing her I'm still there and it's okay. I'm not trying to make them go away. I'm really not because you need to process through this. Your body is telling you you need to do this. So do it. And how do we come back from that? That's interesting because I think I tell my kids don't worry about that a Mm -hmm. lot. Not realizing I'm now realizing that that's almost my version of what our parents were doing, Mm -hmm. which was the put a smile on your face thing. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to let them know. That it's okay, mm-hmm. but maybe that message isn't. That's again very interesting. Sit down and ask them. So yeah. I'm like, okay, so when I say this, how do you feel? What could I say differently? That means the same thing. Because when you're saying don't worry about it, you're trying to express like this is not something to get uh, like anxious about. It's okay. But clearly, there's something that there that's there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, our, our daughter has, uh, shown signs of, of anxiety, unfortunately, which really sucks. Right. Um, cause she hasn't even hit puberty yet. And when that happens, it's going to be a fucking mm-hmm. nightmare. <laughs> but for as like focused as I've been on my kids, I forget about other kids. And since they've started doing sleepovers, sleepovers and things, it's like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I forgot how some people raise their kids is a little different. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they're, yeah, definitely. And even with, with some of my friends, like, that I know are amazing moms, they're teaching their kids amazing things. It's even interesting to see some of behaviors coming out of these kids because kids are kids. Oh, yeah. And they're going to, they're going to do the things and they're going to be the people. And it's just, and then I find myself becoming almost like mom to them too. Like, yeah. Mm, we shouldn't worry about that. Like, yep, yeah, no, my daughter did this and you don't got to worry about it. It's okay. like, I don't know. I find like becoming a mom, but that's just. Oh, dude. I, yeah. so I grew up, my, my parents were like the land of lost toys. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who had an issue and we had the capacity to help, mm-hmm. we would do it. So we housed many a folk, mm-hmm. um, including a girl that I was in my grade. Mm-hmm like going to school with me she stayed with us on multiple occasions it's actually a funny story she was like a sister to me yeah and i came home pretty sure i was a little high and um she thought that um if she claimed my bed because she would sleep on the couch Mm -hmm. so if i wasn't home in time then she would get to have my bed Uh uh-huh and i was like this shit is not happening I just pushed her to the other side of the bed. Oh, God. And I just laid down and fell asleep. So to me, it felt like this like sibling Mm -hmm. rivalry thing. Like, I'm not fucking sleeping on the couch. Mm -hmm. I was so asleep. My phone started ringing. And for some reason, she decided to answer it. Mm -hmm. And it was Kim back when we were dating. Oh. And she's like, hi, this is Danielle. And Kim's like, where is Chris? Oh, he's right here. Where are you? We just woke up. <laughs> so like it sounded fucking insane. Yeah. Um, but then because there was multiple Danielles mm-hmm. in our lives. And when I was like, no, 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 no. This is misfit Danielle. Mm-hmm. Kim was like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But it, so like because that's what I grew up with, mm-hmm. it's also what I'm used to mm-hmm. collecting misfits. Mm hmm. And so when I start to learn my son has a friend who is transsexual, Mm -hmm. pansexual, asexual, all of the sexuals, Mm -hmm. when I start to hear the issues that they have, and for the sake of not getting uber specific with which one, one of their parents just does not know how to process Mm -hmm. and unfortunately has tried spiritual tactics and religious tactics to yep. try and remedy this natural thing. Mm-hmm. And when that kid opens up to me, I am right there with you. I mm-hmm. want to be like, I'll be your mom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that shouldn't be happening. And how do you tell a kid who has no way of getting out of that situation? Mm-hmm. Like, h- how do you help them prepare themselves or themselves for like something that they 
for, you know, five years or whatever are not mm-hmm. going to be able to get out of. Finding, finding the people, finding their other mama bears, finding their other papa bears, finding those people that are going to love them no matter what. Kim just brought up like how they met somebody in Duluth who uh, was a lot like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, but then Kim said, until he said he'd been through treatment four times. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that could have been me. Mm-hmm. I just was lucky and had a support system. Mm-hmm. And that makes all of the difference. Yes. Especially like the younger that you are, or if you don't have a handle on whatever you're, I feel bad because people don't want to be diagnosed, mm-hmm. but I have the mentality of like, these. this is just to help you understand how to move forward. Mm-hmm. It, it, does, it doesn't mean that it has to end here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like for people who, don't have any idea as to what they're dealing with mm-hmm. on a chemical level, then they're going to be extra vulnerable and could be extra closed off and all of these things. So like without support system, without understanding themselves, like it could fail very easily. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm just ridiculously lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I stay at all the time. And I use this accent when I do it too. I hope you do. I squeeze King, King Julian. I say squeeze my family and I say I love to become a professional whistler. <laughs> um and also I'm lucky that I have a sense of humor too. Yeah. Like that is a huge coping mm-hmm. mechanism. Mm-hmm. That I think that's probably why I fuck with people so much too, is because it's a quick way of getting them to drop their guard. Yep. And it helps them to be able to to open up. Mm-hmm. So, like I said before, I'm lucky that it hasn't <laughs> gotten... backfired completely yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there's a bazillion ways to do those things. Mm-hmm. Now, for your coping mechanisms, yes. What is it that you do? What is it I don't do? Oh, interesting. No. Um, I, I I wonder that because. It's like how at the tattoo shop, I have access to all of the tools, yep. all of the things, mm-hmm. all of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to try to change a piercing at home, I'm still going to have a hard fucking time. Yep. I need an extra set of hands. Yep. I need my things. Yes. So. Um. So I discovered sewing. Oh, that's at right. A fair, yeah. It, like 12, 13. Um, and that has been a huge release for me, like crafting, sewing, um, doing those things. It's really a, a very positive process for me, unless if I completely screw up a quilt and put it away for a year and a half. But <laughs> that's not a good time. Um, but definitely like the crafting, using using kind of that creative side of my brain. I've been doing diamond art a lot. Um, I'm what is cur- that? Like diamond dots. Oh. Yeah, but it the the off-brand versions you do call diamond art. Oh, okay. And so I've been doing a lot of that even this morning. Like the morning was going great. The girls were making diamond art of like little bats and stuff like that. And I was working on my big one. And um, I've been doing a lot of that. It's just kind of mindless. And so I can turn on podcasts and like just do the numbers, right? Yeah. I've been pushing myself to get back into exercise. So I've been walking a lot. Walking is a really good outlet, especially when I talk about somatic interventions. Clearly, I need to process since I keep getting smacked in the face with my <laughs> diagnosis. Um, video games sometimes is a... Really? Is a, yeah. 
Yeah. What kind of games do you play? Uh, Stardew Valley. It's one of my favorites. I keep hearing about it. I still haven't done it. I need to do it. What? I know. It's been all around me for a year, and I just haven't pulled the trigger. (laughs) Oh, I am going to play Slime Ranchers 2, though. Which is like a game for babies, but I'm a huge baby. So it's going okay. to be great. But please continue. Um, I played a lot, or I, I beat Graveyard Keeper, which is, it's like Stardew Valley, <laughs> but kind of like where you have to run a graveyard. So you bury people, you burn them, you try to do stuff around. Yeah, no. It, See, now that sounds sick. It, that it, that I, sounds more my speed. Uh, it was a great game. But it was also hard as shit. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Because like you could get so far and then you would have to wait like this really long time to be able to achieve the next thing. And it was just like there was plenty of times where I'm like on Google, like, how the fuck do I do this? <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Rune Factory. I'm huge into. So I don't like just Harvest Moon. I like when they have like where you can go kind of fight things or you have like these missions. So Rune Factory, which is created by the same people who did Harvest Moon. Okay. They, it is that it's like farming and then you go and fight monsters. So I really love that. Yeah. Rune Factory. So, um, and pretty much, I mean, I haven't played it in a long time, but like anything Lego games, like Lego Harry Potter, Lego, Lego Lord of the Rings was the bomb. Um, <clears throat> I just aged myself there, right there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, but they all kind of cycle. Like, what my co- oh, my yeah. main coping skill right now? It's kind of the diamond art and the walking, and maybe in well, maybe I might so making gnomes. That's a big one too. I haven't made you a gnome yet. I need to make you a gnome. Well, I mean, yeah, I've made buddy. You made them for the shop, and they're super sick. Yeah. But you could, you and Kim could have your own gnome. I gnomes everywhere. Well, I don't know him about that. Dad joke. Because you suck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I might sew this week. I don't know. We'll see. In a moment of like when it just comes on out of nowhere, and like you're out in public or you're at a restaurant or something, like do you do you have like an emergency toolkit of like what you would do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I do a lot of breathing exercises. Okay. So do you, I mean, you've been through treatment. Do you know why your body starts naturally sighing when you get angry or, or like a heightened emotion? I don't No. That is your body's natural defense to like bring it down. So extra oxygen to the brain slows your brain down. Oh. So that's why you hear a lot of therapists recommending breathing exercises when you're feeling anxious to slow your thoughts down. Um, So I do a lot of that. And there are, I mean, if you Google, there are so many different variations of of breathing exercises. Some work, some don't. You have to find the right ones. Mine is, um, I've been doing a lot of the 487, where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for eight seconds, then you breathe out for seven seconds. Um. That one really does slow me down. I did a lot of square breathing for a while where I'd breathe in for three, hold for three, out for three, hold for three in like the, that square pattern or rhythmic pattern. Um, it's not as effective, but I do a lot of breathing. So I, I try to get as much oxygen to my brain without passing out that helps slow it down. That's really interesting. Or I jabber. I jabber a lot. You some jabbering? I, yeah, I jabber a lot. <laughs> 
Yeah. Dude, I, 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 I mean, I jabber on all of the things. I, I, that, that's probably like, I don't have, I don't know why I'm saying all these things. I want to bring it back because you have many knowledges. Mm-hmm. And if people, if you want to listen back on what I was probably going to talk about, just go look some, on some other episodes. I'm sure it'll come up. Um, when it comes to um, dealing with, or let me rephrase that, assisting families, mm-hmm. how is it that you keep your personal history out of the process of of helping individuals? I don't know. It It's they work so hard to train that you keep your stuff out. And so now it's just kind of like a natural switch. Like I don't have to work. Um, and if I do bring any of my stuff in, it's, I, I go through like this decision tree of, <clears throat> am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for them? Mm-hmm. Will it help this relationship or will it cause any undue harm? Like I, I go through like this decision tree. Um, and if I come to, this is going to benefit them and it's going to help strengthen the relationship and I leave it at that, then I might do minor self-disclosure. Like, hey, I do understand this emotion right now. This is what I've been through. So when you say this, I can feel it. And I want you to know that you have somebody who's feeling this with you. And how can I help you with this feeling to move forward? And sometimes it can be really like the the one instance that like I really think about, it was just like the sigh of relief. Like just, you could visibly see him just. <sighs> and then he went on talking about what he was struggling with. So it wasn't even like a thing. Like he never asked me again anything about my stuff. It wasn't a big deal, but he knew that I was there with him. That I'm feeling it with him. That's something that I'm trying to learn how to do because I, like I said before, I have issues with boundaries because mm-hmm. of codependency, mm-hmm. but I am jealous of that aspect mm-hmm. because I feel like when you are able to do that, there isn't as much of an attachment and therefore creating that codependency mm-hmm. umbilical cord mm-hmm. because deep down my codependency, that's exactly what it wants. Mm-hmm. I want an attachment for life. Mm-hmm. And because I have so many people passing through now and I can't help myself but try to, Mm -hmm. if somebody lets on that they are struggling, I'm going to say something. But I want to learn to how to do it in a way that, what was the the word that you used? Indirect harm or? Undue harm. Undue harm. Yeah. Or unconscious harm or non-malfeasance. Feces. Yeah, yeah, feces. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> flinging shit at people. God. Non-malfeasance. Non-malfeasance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I want to try to get a better grip on mm-hmm. the way that I share with people and what would, like you were saying, like, am I saying that I went through treatment and all these things to get a pat on the back from somebody to mm-hmm. say, Hey, good congrats on being a sober guy. Mm-hmm. Or am I doing it because I want them to open up mm-hmm. and to feel safer or whatever? Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm not 100% sure where I'm at on that scale. Yeah. I'm positive that I do both, mm-hmm. but obviously I want to do more of one than the other. Yeah. So, how'd you learn how to do that? Practice? <laughs> 
because I know it gets told to you that the, yeah. it's it's safe practices and, and how you need mm-hmm. to to operate. But yeah, it's one of those where before I do any sort of disclosure, I do I go through that those main questions like, what am I doing this for? Why why do I have this urge? And sometimes I sit on it. Sometimes I sit on it for a long time until I say something. And sometimes where it's like, no, in this moment, I know it's going to benefit. And so for you, you're not going to necessarily have that luxury because you don't have people like me who come in once a week. <laughs> um, you see them one time and they're gone. But There's so many things that I want to ask more questions about, yep. but you're going to have to come back three more times. <laughs> three more? Okay. Um, I think the the biggest thing, though, like in why I was asking those questions is because it's such a common topic with this particular show mm-hmm. um, that I don't want to, like I was saying before, like saying, throwing your diagnosis out there just as an excuse so that people leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to keep saying that I have codependency and mm-hmm. not actively try to create boundaries and, and fix these things. Mm-hmm. And so listeners, so it doesn't seem like I'm just a narcissist who wants to keep talking about himself. <laughs> mm. There's a diagnosis we haven't been talking about? Uh, yeah. Oh. Dude, I'm hilarious. Okay. Is that a hilarious personality disorder? Is that it? No, that's narcissism. Oh, okay. I love myself. You should love yourself. <laughs> well, the ironic thing is like, the the whatever it's all self self-deprecating humor mm-hmm. so it's ironic that like i'm like i'm funny mm-hmm. but i'm funny because i'm shitting on myself mm-hmm. so i think that's like my way of trying to say i'm not narcissistic yeah but i think a little bit probably i think we all are a little bit <laughs> or if we're not a little bit we should be a little bit yeah and this is a good way for me to like i think I think it actually is kind of for me to do these interviews is, is because I like to highlight the value of others. Mm-hmm. And like the reason why, you know, we kept talking, why I kept bringing up the podcast is because I could see the value in what you bring to others mm-hmm. and what you perceive as like annoying or whatever. To me, it's, it's another opportunity to have these conversations, another yeah. opportunity to remind myself that I want to get her on and, mm-hmm. and have these conversations. So oh, I thought you were yanking my chain for a long time. I'm like, oh, he's just filling me with bullshit. No, dude. No. I learned a f- shit ton having Good. you on today. This Good. was awesome. It's funny. Like sometimes I'm excited to edit episodes, but most of the time it's like, ugh, I have to go through four hours of listening to your own voice. Yeah, and then going back and forth and back and forth and chopping and switching <laughs> angles. and yep. um, But yeah, I'm excited to go through this again because I'm going to take some notes. Good. Who, who was it? Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes, yes, yes. Former <laughs> governor of California. Totally the... You have to-, to love yourself in order to move Thank on. God. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And like I said... You're definitely going to have to come back. Listeners, she's coming back for sure. For sure. (laughs) And I want to sit and talk with Kim. Yes. Yes. That's going to happen for sure, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And to the listeners, be well to yourselves.